0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to the brilliant Jess Foster. Q, And uh, forgive me if my voice is slightly lower than usual. Uh, I have a sleeping baby on my tummy uh, in uh, one of those carrier type things. So I am talking, uh, but you might hear me be at a slightly lower register than usual and also you might hear some snuffly breathing. Can you hear that? There she is. That's the girl. Very asleep. So before we go into this conversation, thank you to the Angel Comedy Club, angelcomedy.co.uk, who allowed us to record this in their fabulous venue, The Bill Murray, which remains... A really interesting experiment in a bunch of comedians and comedy related people getting together, getting a lease on a building and actually putting their hearts and souls into making it work as an everyday comedy club with a load of additional space. It's a hub of courses and networking. Networking is completely the wrong word, but you could learn loads of stuff there about comedy and they're just really good People and people who are very passionate about the art, as I know you are. So angelcomedy.co.uk, I've got to admit I'm guessing that web address, but I feel like I've written it down on email addresses before, so I think that's the one. Loads of great stuff going on there. And I saw Rory Scovel there recently and Eddie Izzard, more on those uh, in the middle bit but um, for now, this is Jess Foster. She is a fabulous act. She's incredibly accessible and watchable, and she's been those things for years. She was she's always been very funny, and now she is extremely funny. So it's been great. One of those acts that has been really brilliant, watching uh, develop over the last few years into someone that is a real powerhouse. Now, her uh, we talk about this. At the beginning of the interview, we'll start talking about The Silence of the Nans, which is her story show. It's not really a story show, it's a stand-up show, but it's a story structure about a disastrous gig she did on a cruise. And it's so listenable. I believe it's on Next Up. If you go to nextup.com, you can watch it live there. I just had the audio from that gig. And uh, it's a belter of a gig and such an accessible comic. And I don't mean accessible in a negative way at all. I suppose it has certain connotations of just, you know, well, why are you pointing out the accessibility? Surely you should be talking about how funny she is. She's very funny, but by accessible I mean she, or watchable rather, she's one of those comics who you could watch as like a fifth show at Edinburgh if you were really sinking your teeth into the festival. You've seen four or five shows and you're like, oh, I'm a bit done. No, you can definitely squeeze in a Jess foster queue show because she is just... As well as being very, very funny, big punchy stuff, fantastic characterization. She's also just someone you can just plug into. She's a plug and play comedian, so whatever that means, she's one of them. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jessica Foster Q. Where do I want to start? It's an interesting one. I don't have, sometimes I've got an angle of attack. With you, I feel like my most fresh kind of angle, having listened to your show last night, in fact, uh, The Silence of the Nans, which is on Next Up. It is, yeah, yeah. What number show uh, of
2: yours is that? God, I need to know that, don't I? I'm going to have to count them live on my fingers like a child. Uh, 2011 was my first hour. 2012 I did one. 2013 I did one. 2014 was a work in progress and a play, so no, that doesn't count, does it? 2015 I did one. Uh... 2017, I did one. Did I do one in 2016? Oh God, that's awful. I can't remember. It I think was, of how it, you it felt in 2016 and how yeah. important
0: to you it was or wasn't. If yeah, that ever happened or wasn't,
2: I don't think I did. I just had okay. my kid. I didn't. I didn't go at oh, of course. all. Um, <laughs> Got a bit so, of a blank on that year. Yeah. Oh yes, I had oh, a child. I was doing something else. <laughs> just one other thing. Um, yeah. So I. Um, that means sixth show.
0: I was really struck having not seen. I don't think any of your other shows. I've seen you fifth. at gigs. Fifth, it's fifth, sorry. Fifth. Oh, God, <laughs> I can't even count to five. I feel like I've seen you at gigs here and there. The, the two that stick in my mind were one at the um, the Museum of Comedy. I knew you, you did were your Magneto bit, and I remember yeah. thinking, "Fucking hell, Jess has got really good." Like
2: that's so funny because like, you were so kind about that bit that night, and I never ever made it fly. No, really. Yeah. I mean it's still I still put it in a show which is telling. That was twenty thirteen. Okay. And that was in a bit of the show which after that year I went, never ever do a show
0: again where there's bits in it you know still don't work. Just have a shorter show. <laughs> this is a classic bit of goldsmith advice. Uh, you tried a bit once I well, said, "Oh, it's great! I love that bit." But and lots, of and for lots of comedians did. <laughs> oh, oh, lots of comedians did. Lots of comedians.
2: Not lots is pushing it. Then I said, "I got big head," but I had a variety of comedians say, "Oh," and I think it was just a nice analogy. But the whole bit itself, flabby. Ah,
0: fair, fair. <laughs> <laughs> Great analogy though. But that was for me, that was the moment where where I, I kind of went, Ooh, I, I sort of I did a bit of a spit take. I was like, Ooh, oh God. Because I'd seen you at gigs here and there. We we had another one in some godforsaken market town, can't even remember. Mm. It, it was one of those ones that nearly got pulled and we all turned up and went, It's only six people, I hope this gets pulled, and then four more people turned oh, up and we went, fuck. Oh Christ. And it was fine, <laughs> but we were you know, it was not test conditions. No. And I think everyone did fine. Yeah but that the museum of comedy one i really sort of noticed i i I had that thing of having known you and seen you at gigs here and there for a bit i sort of had a sensation that you'd gone up a gear do you and i've certainly experienced those things myself i've gone oh i've got a bit better does that mean is that is that meaningful to you do you feel that you kind of improve in stages definitely yeah um uh god it's
2: so hard to perceive it in yourself I hope I do. I find it much easier to see that with other people. I worked with someone this weekend who I haven't worked with for probably two or three years and was like, oh, what a great MC now. Not that I ever thought they were a bad one, but you know when you're like, what, yeah, you've got a really, yeah. really really special set of skills now and that's yes. really amazing. And, and you don't want to name them. You tell know them so. don't want to name them because you know it will accidentally... No, yeah, no. it would sound like you were being rude about them historically. Yeah, it's sure, it Diane don't. Spencer. I just hadn't worked with her for years. Oh, God, yeah. I've and she's resident MC in a club now. Okay. And so you get something, I think you get something special when you're resident somewhere. You get yes. this little, you know, it's your turf. It's like a yeah, gig at yeah, home yeah. in a way, even though, you know, it's a big gig. She, um... She it, she was really brilliant, really brilliant. And I, I, The only reason you'd shy away from saying that is if you sounded like you were surprised. I've never thought, you know... But you just don't... You know, I'm not someone who goes around going... Th- I'm genuinely not someone who goes around thinking, I think they're shit, I think they're shit. I've grew out of that kind of toxicity because it is toxic really early in my career. I'm so grateful that I did, but... Um, but, I, you know, you, you, you just, if you're not working with someone, you're not necessarily thinking about them. And it's so lovely when you gig with someone after years and you go, oh, yeah, they're really, f- there's a real fire in the tummy. You can f- feel it. And and
0: do you notice those things in yourself? You say that's harder to spot. No, those. I,
2: I don't. I get them in, I get, every now and again, I get a nice, um, oh, I don't, you know, I don't get it in chunks. I don't get it in, in every couple of year chunks. I had a big, I, I think probably about seven years in, I realised that that the, the annual while you're preparing a show feeling of, I think, you know I this feeling that you get around May where you start and directing people I've really watched people do it where you start to just grow this fake confidence in your show and in you <laughs> and it's bollocks actually but you're there going do you know what i love this show i'm so proud of this show this show's actually a really special one, one. <laughs> like i'm really i'm uh, I, you know i don't care what happens but like the show i'm just really proud of this i'm actually really proud of my work and i'm actually like on fire at the moment this uh, you know you, you either say it out loud or you say it to your director or you say it to your close friends or you're telling everyone online constantly all day or night whatever you ever, however you deal with your shit that's bollocks I, I really think it's manufactured for, for self defence as a kind of armour that you need, but ultimately you get a very different thing. I this is, I can't generalise. This is only my experience. I've realised about seven years in that that wasn't real, and I or why I was doing it, why I was giving myself that um, blanket, a confidence blanket, but that it wasn't really my skin. And I thought I need to get good enough that that's my skin, um, and then. I, I've ju- in about three weeks ago I've been going for 11 years and I'd say that about 10 took 10 years and then I suddenly thought it wasn't sudden it was the opposite of sudden I very gradually realised oh I and I still feel it makes me want to puke into my own eyes to say it out loud and then I thought oh I, finally I'm good at this
0: that's so
1: lovely finally that's so I, I to deserve hear.
2: to be doing what I'm doing and more and now I can know I can I there are very few situations now finally where I think I can walk into with a with a, a natural confidence not of a near not a swagger yeah but you know a confidence because you're like I've got this yes and it took a decade
0: <laughs> it really it it strikes me very frequently how many people in their first few years of comedy are wanting to, to get really good really quickly when so many of the elements of comedy are have to be in the skin they've got to be in the bone Mm -hmm. they're just there's no way you need to grow you need to grow you can't have accelerated growth there are ways you know if you get loads of opportunities if you get thrown at the deep end in loads of different things
2: but, but I don't think you're happy. Maybe that sounds too rose-tinted and cliche. But I think there's a real stress in the people who, and it's extraordinarily rare, get catapulted fast. There's a stress there because you've got all of the. Um, oh, I suppose you, it feels like you're maybe being you're going 90 miles an hour, but you you hadn't built the car around you very properly. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And that I I mean that would be just I I feel em- sympathy and terror on behalf of those people whose careers do that and you think I hope they've got the right people around them um I overheard a new act at the weekend um talk about somebody and say you know oh you know they were talking about Jamali Maddox who's brilliant I love Jamali and they were saying, yeah I mean in the early days no one would touch him Uh, Because of what he does is so kind of out there and alternative. Like, no-one would touch him for almost three years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, dude! Uh. What planet are you on three years? He wasn't born. He wouldn't touch himself.
0: Come on. It's not even your puberty. Do you find that you are intellectually rigorous about stand-up and about your place in it? Because what I'm referring to is a very funny moment in The Silence of the Nans, a Mm. recent show of yours, um, where you talk about the switch in your head before you go on to do a gig, you, you make a conscious decision... I think I've stolen the switch. I don't think you say the switch in my head. I think I've nicked that. Do you? Yeah, yeah, do, yeah, You do flip you? the switch. Yeah. Oh, you flip the switch. I think I, I, was, I was about to accuse myself of stealing that from the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling film <laughs> over the top. Um, but uh, yeah, you flip the switch. You make a conscious decision to enjoy yourself. And I listened to that bit of your show whilst enjoying the show very much and thought, oh God, that's a good idea. Why don't I do that? That feels like a sort of uh, 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 em- it feels emblematic of a mental strength or a clarity oh, really? to be able to go. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to enjoy this.
2: I think it's a survival technique more than anything. My f- my concern with it is that, it's- and-, and also it's not as um, p- it's not as visualized as I. It- for the sake of explaining it in a show, I turned it into a, a switch that I flip, and it's not that a uh, solid a thing. I don't picture a switch and sure. then put my hand up to it or whatever. Um, also, I, I think it makes it – and I don't need to do that because normally it's a very subconscious thing because normally I still love doing this, so normally I want to be where I am, so I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> Ultimately, I'm still at a situation in my career where I have to sometimes be in situations I don't really want to be in. And you do have to manufacture the desire to be there or go, well, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you, you can do stuff internally, yeah, very much intellectually and, but it's not just intellectualising actually, there's a real emotional base to that to go, I'm gonna just enjoy it. Doesn't matter really what happens. And that's as emotional as it is intellectual making that choice. I did a corporate um, this Christmas that was just to 10 people who've been on a focus day who are having their after focus day dinner in the private room of a swanky restaurant in Soho and I just had to pop in as a surprise. <laughs> and they're from all around the world. Classic, classic, classic. Uh, as a surprise. I just do a little 10 to 15. Um... And it was 10 to 15 minutes, you know, but ultimately, all the way there, you think. And it was last minute, and it was like, oh. Um, but, you know, I, I it, everything else about it was fine in terms of who'd booked me and stuff like that. I knew that, it, ultimately, it doesn't really matter what happens. Um And that's what we've just got to remember. And I got there, and I sat upstairs waiting to go down, and ta-da. And, um, and you know, and all your fibres are going, what are you thinking? Like, you don't... This is, this can't work well. And actually, you've got, I've got quite good at doing the flip. As soon as I can hear those voices, and they start from the second you have to think about leaving the house <laughs> to, to, to within 10 minutes, all I need is like a five, 10 minute window to turn it around and go, just enjoy yourself. I think if you're watching someone enjoy themselves, it can only be so excruciating, even if you've put the wrong person in the wrong place, yes. which is what happened on that cruise that that show's about. And ultimately, weirdly, in that restaurant gig, can you believe it? Fine absolutely fine some of them confused but all it takes if the audience of ten is two of them to be loving it and your yeah. job's absolutely a, the victory
0: the, do, do you um, <laughs> I don't disagree with that at all you're a basket case right Um. yeah like you you're like I think of you, you're, you're, you're one of us right yeah <laughs> like I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. interested in the, the those sound mental like, health aspects yeah.
2: of it yeah Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. those yeah, yeah, yeah. sound
0: like very mentally healthy uh, ways yeah. to process i have and a lot of cbt with, yeah right okay they sound <laughs> like good cbt they sound yeah. like good i mean yeah. I, I i i couldn't i couldn't make cbt work for me long term right but, but i know so i probably didn't do enough of it but uh they sound like quite good yeah mental jujitsu yeah they um, are
2: well, I, uh, to be fair if therapists didn't give me them I uh, didn't give me t- don't, i have not h- yet to uh approach a therapist with um with um ask asking for help with work that practically or with my head around work um but they do i do they she um the vast majority i wish i could afford more therapy um but the fortnightly one i have is large part taken up with helping me um i suppose it's definitely work related but just cope with um Getting fair, I get very overwhelmed very quickly. I try and do way too much. I'll I'll work on my way to something and then on my way home from it, and then I'll factor way too many things into do than I can possibly do in a set time frame. And as a result of that, I struggle sometimes. And I think it's one of the reasons I love gigs and podcasts. You can't not be present in them.
0: Yeah. You can't drift
2: off in a podcast. I mean, it would be really obvious if you had, (laughs) but you have to be present in your moment. And, but to do that, to do that in my life, in my time that's mine, to write or to whatever, admin, they oh, are the admin, but, like, to, to have ideas, to do, be present in the moment as you need to be to have ideas, I need the help of a therapist with. Because otherwise, especially since having kids, a kid so far, I've felt more more driven and focused than ever. And I use my time more wisely than ever, but I panic more than ever because that time's been crushed into a, a block
0: and do you? You're, that's really interesting. Well, I don't think I've spoken to anyone about a kind of a, a recurrent. Do you see that being like a long, long-term process? Every two weeks, this is my top-up. This is me popping in for a kind of mental MOT. As long order.
2: as I can afford it, I want to have therapy. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I don't see my job getting any less stressful or my life getting any easier anytime soon. Because I really love being a parent, and I really love my career, and I love my work. So I can't. If I'm not going to get off the train then I'm going to need help along the way and I'm going to have to say yes to all, all different flavours of help. And without someone telling me to, I won't take breaks.
0: Without, oh, you won't take breaks? No, yeah. not proper ones. And why is that? Is, that is, is it a kind of workaholism?
2: Yeah, fear, mainly. Um, fear of what? I, it's fear that, I think, it's, you, you get meritocracy drilled into you. I certainly did as a kid. The harder you work, the better you'll do. I think that's through acad- your academic life, that's really pummeled in. And then you get... Um, I have certainly got a big rush of... When I was first falling in love with stand-up, which was an accident, and I will admit this on your podcast, but I wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to be an actor. And I thought, and I... Um, if you want to shoot me in the head when you listen to this, ye oldie club comic, you
0: can. Rest assured, you've done enough hard yards, you're yeah. inescapably one oh, of us.
2: I didn't care about being a stand-up. I wasn't that kid that grew up watching stand-up. I grew up in the countryside, there wasn't any to watch. I'd been to the comedy store once on a date that was a disgusting date I didn't want to be on with a creepy guy that anyway, but like I basically like my I had, I went saw my in Freshers Week I went to see some stand-up, can't remember the name of them, can remember one joke, one liner American what was the comic. Joke? Let's work him out. Oh, the joke was, um, oh, it was bad. I mean, it was hack AF. It was... um... Oh, it was a Parkinson's joke. OK, His girlfriend. Park. Oh, my my things with my girlfriend are a bit shaky. She's got Parkinson's. Sure, 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 sure. Oh, and I laughed. Let, like let's a not try to work out. I was laughed saying. like a drain at eighteen <laughs> years old. Um, but yeah, I never had that thing where I was like, "I'm so into stand up, I've just got to be one." I wanted to be an actor, and I was doing bits and bobs of that. And then my friend, well, my best friend at the time, Sarah Pascoe, started doing stand up, and I thought, "Oh, she's making that look quite fun. I might get a decent acting agent. I'll give it a go." No
0: <gasps> way. Whoa! What a freak. Oh, Unbelievable. Pals with Sarah prick. from where?
2: From. Improv. Okay. Sarah and Cariad. I did a. Um, I did a. Do I did? I wrote some sketches. Doing yeah, I'm not really. I mean, I wrote uh, badly. I wrote some um, sketches and. Um, uh, god it's so it's a blur actually but ultimately I ended up writing some sketches for a live show going to watch them get acted out and seeing for the first time in my whole life I'd never even really taken any notice of whose line is it anywhere Seeing short form improv for the first time asking the guy who was running it all could I have a go at that and he said yeah don't see why not so I went to a workshop and then this workshop became huge and it was let's be clear, a fucking appalling. It was called Mixed Nuts because it was meant to be a diverse group. It was mainly white people. (laughs) Um, But through that group, I met Carrie Adloyd and Sarah Pascoe and we, along with other people uh, like Paul Foxcroft and Gemma Arrowsmith, and we started our own improvising group called The the Institute. And so, yeah, I became friends with them through that and then Sarah kind of became a trader and started stand-up. Yes. And we were all aspire, and whereas, you know, it's so funny that, you know, and Carrie has gone on to be like one of the best living improvisers of all time, Sarah's flying superstar, Uh, you know. It's so funny to be like, yeah, I probably was copying my brilliant friend and wanted a better exposure as an actor, and within five gigs I was absolutely head over tits in love. Like smack, I felt like I've had yet to try smack. Maybe one day, but it felt like it felt like it was in my veins so fast. And I would give a shit about acting. Completely let it go. Let it go for years and years and years. And now I'm really bang into it again. And I love it as much as stand up. But it took it, it took a really saucy affair with stand up for maybe like six seven years before I would put any real sense, serious focus or energy back into wanting to be an actor as well.
0: And did that that energy thank you, that's a fantastic origin story. And thank you for having the, the thanks for being honest about it. Oh, no. you know, honest you. Oh, I was a uh, oh, no. mate of uh, a Um so the moment when you thought I can redabble in acting now, was that because you had become enough of a stand-up to to sate the urge that you were kind of like, all right, I can afford to spend any spare time on this now because I'm grounded as a comic?
2: Yeah I think there's an element of that and I can't say that I know for sure. I remember that after I had my son this in months after I had my son. Um and I think it coincided with my um my agent getting an assistant who was great in terms of castings but I, I, and nothing happened initially and then I had my son and um it's I think casting directors think pretty in pretty basic terms and suddenly um, if someone's able to put you up for young mum roles even though, I mean, it's not like you, you heave the kid out and instantly go, throw these clothes away, get me to next. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But um, but suddenly I had, like, a run of jobs, and weirdly I was getting them, even though I was walking into those rooms objectively, like, the sweatiest and fattest, and, do you know what I mean? Like, the kind of, like the opposite of all the things you think a glamorous actress or actor should be... Um, yeah I didn't give a fuck I was the happiest I'd been forever I hadn't slept for ages I had that Teflon thing where you don't really care and I was getting parts and stuff so and so I thought oh and then because you're actually doing it a bit of screen acting I was like oh well I love it I love it and then you think oh well I think I'm allowed this a bit of polyamory here I think I'm allowed to love both these things at the same time because they are doable at once, once you get to a certain point.
0: So this is Jess. What a joy to speak to her. You can hear how much fun I'm having. You might on one or two occasions hear me stifle a yawn, Please be assured that uh, Jess is also the mother of a young child and uh, completely gave me a pass on how many times I yawned in her face due to having been up since like four in the morning or something nuts. I had another killer of those yesterday, but um, my wife continues in exemplary fashion to do the heavy lifting when it comes to sleeplessness, which I think benefits us all, (laughs) myself and the wider listenership of the podcast. So praise be to Mrs Goldsmith. Um... Great fun talking to Jess. As I said, you can go to Next Up Comedy. You can uh, watch her, this show that, that we've been talking about. And um, if you fancy going to com slash insiders and joining up for the Insiders Club private podcast, or if you are already a member, um, you can head over to that feed and you will get access to some extras. I think, is it... 15, 20, 30 minutes? Can't remember. A big chunk of extra is specifically about directing, because Jess is one of those acts who directs other comics, or has, certainly has done in the past, and she goes into detail on the process by which she works with. A couple of acts she doesn't name, and then a couple of acts she does. She talks about working with Sarah Pascoe, uh, and also with the very exciting newer comedian, Lauren Pattinson. So she directed shows for both of those people, with both those people, and um, and you can find all about that if you're interested in... Uh, some deeper thought and some deeper insight Uh, and if you're one of those people who's sort of passionate about developing your career then maybe the Insiders Club is for you that's a a good place to get hold of that stuff also the latest episode of Comedy Critique has just recently gone up there and that latest episode features feedback for last episode's guest Christian Talbot and it also uh, is an opportunity for feedback for Laura McMahon two very interesting very funny acts there So uh, get stuck into that if you're in the Insiders Club. If you'd like to join the ComCom Facebook group, you can uh, rack up some questions for forthcoming guests, including Police Cops, who I'm doing live at Vault Festival this coming Friday. I hope you can make it along. Oh, no, I'm not. They're on on Friday. And then I'm interviewing them at 4pm, 4.30pm on Saturday as part of Vault Festival. I hope you'll go along to that. If you'd like to ask them questions in advance, you can do that at the Comedians Comedian Facebook group. Um, And you can also... Who have we got coming up, Jeff? innocent i've been trying to get jeff innocent we've been trying to make our diaries work for about three years and jeff innocent absolute i mean god what is he he's just a <laughs> i would certainly never dream of describing him as an aging warhorse, as i did mike wilmot so memorably and um, but he has been in the game for a good long while he has a fantastic perspective on Uh, On comedy, he has an incredible amount of experience of just crushing gigs. And I don't use that very American phrase lightly. He really does kill. So uh, if you'd like to put in a question there for Jeff Innocent, I will create a thread for doing that at the ComCom Facebook group. There is now also a spoiler thread for discussion of Kitson's new show. So uh, I've not seen it. I've not been engaged in the spoiler thread, but it's all safeguarded you can turn off notifications for it and stuff there's no visible spoilers but that's a really good use of the group so if you fancy doing that then pop along there forthcoming stuff of course we have as well as the police cops live one on the 23rd of march in birmingham at the town hall as part of the podcast festival there Uh, we have an amazing live special coming up so jump on that and sell your tickets it's selling pretty well i know it will sell better when i release the name of the guest but i'm just dotting the i's and crossing the t's all right trust me it'll be great buy a ticket More exciting people coming up soon as well. I'll name them once they're safely in the can. And I'm, honestly, people who keep asking about the K. Trevor Wilson episode, I'm trying, I've got like nine hard drives that I'm going through all of them thinking, have I renamed the file something? Trying to work out the date I recorded it, all of that tedious stuff. I will, I will find it, I promise. Chat to you a little bit afterwards. For now, let's get back to my conversation with Jessica Foster.
1: Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh one dot com.
0: What are your favorite things? What sorts of things?
2: Um. Oh. Being on, being, being in someone's radio pilot, being um, someone who, a comedian who you adores radio pilot, being asked to write for it, but the sheen's come off that now. I still love writing on things, but I'm at a point now where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, we, I'll write on that for a day. Can I be on it? Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready, yeah. I'm ready to break that. That's my next um, bit of ceiling to smash, really, be on more things. But acting work, it's had absolutely nothing to do with, uh, with, Edinburgh's and um, uh, being getting on the radar of producers for doing things as a comedian on radio and telly. One in ten things I've done has been from an Edinburgh tops. It's not as important as it for me as it used to be. Weirdly, as Edinburgh's get easier, because one, you find the longer you've been going, the easier you find it to write an hour of stuff, the easier you find it to get people in the room, whatever. But my work has come from. Podcasting more than Edinburgh's.
0: How long have you been doing? Oh, yeah, you because know, it's not just who. No, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you... co-hosting the Guilty Feminist. Yes. Yeah. How lo- have you the regular co-host or a regular there's co-host? A regular. There's a I'm not yeah, that sure.
2: regular anymore. Yeah, yeah. I had a flurry of doing it
0: quite often, but yeah, now there's tons of us. And that's that shows enormous. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, your name is out there in a way that I mean, I found that when I started podcasting, yeah. I'd look at the numbers of people who'd listened to me describe my day at the end of the thing and go oh that's more people than I played to in two Edinburgh's
2: yeah but then that eventually translates to Edinburgh's yeah
0: so So, so if you're not getting the work from Edinburgh yeah what's the attraction of doing Edinburgh when you do it God, that's so interesting because, because you most have, people because see, you, it yeah, 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 because you, to
2: have a presence up there and for the love of doing a show, it ultimately comes down to the romantic fundamentals that you have to be doing it for, not to lose your mind up there. I think. I mean, I I fell for all the traps that everyone falls for in my first two years. I threw away many, many thousands of pounds in a paid venue, fleeced by producers. I got just i just lost so much money i borrowed money from friends i i was really careful about how i funded them so i never ruined my life i never michael mcintyred it and got in with debtors but i
0: did he do that i've not heard oh that yeah he no, got I like in
2: 30 grand of edinburgh debt and mm. had bailiffs around his why he hates bailiffs that's why he did you hear he booked to do a corporate to bailiffs? Oh, yes, I did. and it. then like, he yeah, didn't yeah. show yeah because they'd ruined his life lad yeah uh player so yeah, um, uh, the desire now goes back. So so I did all of that in the first few years, and then I would, and then I had a big fall from grace. I was like, a big rebel, no fuck this. I'm going back to the, I'm going on the free fringe where I'd done my shared shows, and um, and then had really good fun there for a couple of years, completely unnoticed, but playing to full rooms, having a great time, but absolutely no industry knowing I was there. And then now I I'm somewhere back in that third middle ground where I, I want to be a, you know i don't want uh, i don't want to go back to the free fringe anymore um i'm still not sure i want to risk the hemorrhaging of money that is going to the big four so i'm in the i'm i'm in the world of the 5 pound or 6 pound and pay what you want okay venues of which there were sort of two and a half right so it's monkey barrel and just the tonic and gilded balloon some years so, yeah, uh, uh, I don't want to lose loads and loads of money. I don't mind losing a little bit. Um, but because it hasn't been my... The, the thing that's really kicked me up to the next level in terms of exposure of radio and telly, I've got, no, um, I've got no desire to spend to lose, you know, five figures up there. No fucking way, never again. I think it's sick. It makes me fucking rage that people feel like they have to do that. It's a con. I'm still so angry about it, just from those first two years, and that was 2011 and 2012. Like, it's not fair. It's ridiculous that people are doing that. Because ultimately, I'm a lefty and it, it pains me because it means if you're loaded, you can do that again and again and again until people are noticing you. It's not how it should be.
0: Talking about your "The Silence of the Nance, which was two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, which is an excellent show. So I I, I finished. I listened to it uh, whilst uh, uh, bouncing my reflux-addled baby on my chest for an hour. And I tell you what, in the dark, bouncing a baby—great way to enjoy the audio (laughs) of an hour of comedy. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's actually (laughs) most most of the comedy I listen to now is while I'm traveling because who has the time to sit and watch a thing anymore? Um, and actually, in a darkened room, really worked. It was like that thing we uh, talked about—the uh, the dining experience in the dark. <laughs> um, so that show, I, I said to you afterwards. Oh I, I texted you immediately and was like, "What a refreshing that story structure." There was about twenty minutes in where I thought, "I hope it's just this big one story," yeah. and it was. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. this story of you having this this awful yeah. pair of gigs on a on a cruise ship. <laughs> in the writing of that story, show number five. Yeah. And having not, with apologies, having not seen your previous hours, and is that is that structure of something you always use? Because it made me go. I really want to do one big story. What what can I talk about? Because that's like really Moorish. It's It's really
2: Moorish. No, as soon as I got back from that cruise, which is the silver lining on it, really, I was like, ah. I think I have to tell this as one huge story. I've met so many, so many funny people. The characterisation! Yeah, there were so many... But also I didn't even get a chance to include... Were, the, the staff that I met on there that, that weren't um, in entertainment, the, the, the people that were working as chefs and waiters and, you know, cleaners, it was an incredible community on there. Like, and actually how people spoke to them... It was just so disgusting. It was this crazy microcosm. But actually, I thought, no, there's a world that I can paint. There's all these characters. And that's the other it's thing on I think. It's a ship. It's a bottle yeah, yeah, episode. totally. Do you know what I mean? the entire world. But also, the other thing is, I think for years I've shied away. I think I remember having... Um, uh, real, I'll tell you who it was. It was Peter at the, at the, downstairs at the King's Head. And oh, I was okay. about five gigs in, and Peter said to me, Acrobat You Peter need Graham. to decide. <laughs> he said, You need to decide. Are you an actor or are you a stand up? Because you won't get on in this if you're an actor. Actress, he probably said. So, um, and I, you know, that sunk in. And, it, and it's only half helpful because it meant that, you know, even probably a few years ago, I wouldn't have admitted on this podcast that I went into this. For horrible, not horrible reasons. Why is there shame in it for like an undercover actor yeah. um, wanting to be a stand-up? Because when I started, that was you would get spat at by some experienced comedians at gigs because they would be like, "How dare you?" There was a flux. There must have been an influx of actors or drama school leavers coming into comedy that, and they were loathed. So I've been hiding. Not that I've trained actor, but but I. I've been hiding that desire to do that for ages and it was only it took me to 2017 9 years of doing stand up to go use it if you can act be the characters, be yeah. in the characters, but you're telling the story as a stand-up, and you're not just her story. Not that there's anything wrong with them. You get amazing storytellers, but you know you still come to it with the writing of a stand-up. It still has to, it still has to meet certain benchmarks of funniness um, and rhythms, and, st- and there's still set pieces within it, although very few. But it's a thing of such joy to tell one massive story, and I'm not doing that this year with this new show because there's down the downfall to it is. I don't think people watch it and go, oh yeah, we could take that ten minutes and put it in our thing. Course, um, course. So, so actually, yes. I think I'll do alternate. But I, it was so satisfying. Honestly, I can't tell you how satisfying it was. And I, I think not that I will ever do anything as regimented, of going I will do this every other year, whatever. But ultimately, I, I will. I will mix it up. I'll definitely do story t- shows in the future as well because it's
0: really fun. The, the clarity was great. It was so... I, I felt it lasted no time at all because it was so simple. I loved it. I just loved it. Um, I, your characterisation is absolutely great. So you're not a trained actor. No. Nope. So how come you're an actor? What's that about? I thought you had to go to drama school. You were an actor? <laughs> no,
2: it was a big show-off. I did a play at school kind of by accident because one of my friends was doing... Because my my beautiful successful blonde friend Maya I think there's a pattern I copied my friend Maya um she I'm so glad you pointed <laughs> yeah. out that <our> potential <laughs> oh, God! I would not um, like to be safe um, going do not mansplain this <laughs> no I, there's a pattern I follow my friends um yeah yeah she uh also, I audition auditioned for a play at school a new play called Aussie and the Thwarts and um I think I was nine and I auditioned we Uh, And she got to be the villain, like the Cruella de Vil, and I got to be her henchman. Um, God, I can't even... Grovel. Nice. Nice. Its name was. It was a genderless character, very modern, actually, for however long ago it was. Anyway, um, I loved it, and I loved getting laughs, and I loved... Being all contorted, and um, I now look back and realise it was an absolute 100% rip off impression of Rick Mail, <laughs> 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 who I adored. As, hey, I,
0: who who yeah. did not start their career ripping off Rick Mail?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did, and I still think there's. I still think in my m- more impish uh, moments, I am channeling him. I it's. Um, I I watched the film Drop Dead Fred every day for a year around that age. I was obsessed <laughs> with that, it's that naughty make believe character but also yeah. my parents are if anything far too liberal so I was already fully au okay fait with Blackadder and um, Bottom as well. So just all that kind of gr- kind of grotty creepy mucky. <laughs>
0: it's really <laughs> it's all funny all because part of the joy of the characterisation is that in in the show is that they're all grotesques yeah. which is exactly that and you love that's really funny of course Rick Mail, because you love playing against your um very smooth, creamy radio. Did you used to do weather did you used to do traffic yeah, on the radio? Yeah. yeah, you've got a fantastic radio voice, right? And it's uh, it's kind of I would guess people who end up doing traffic on the radio, uh, I would guess you specifically, part of the makeup, the genetic makeup of that job was the fact that you're a really warm, reassuring vocal presence.
2: Well maybe, yeah. I think I was pretty shit at doing the traffic though. <laughs> well maybe yeah. yeah. It was really early morning starts and I quite often would have been out quite late the night before and come in and be like, there's not a lot happening on the
0: M6. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in your, in your shows, you love playing against that because yeah, yeah, you are, yeah. as a comic, I think you are all of our friend. You're the host right, of the yeah, party. Yeah. You're very warm and welcoming. And um, and the, the very first moment in that show when you do two minutes of crowd work and go, that's finished, I hate it. Yeah. Which is lovely. It's had a lovely introduction to you. The difference between this this sort of warm Radio Four voice and then the kind of grovel, the kind of mm. like that, is it's really fun. It's really fun to play off, and you also get tremendous breadth of characterisation out of the different people on the on the ship. It's a yeah. really, uh, I think, it's a real achievement. Thanks, kindly. Oh, it doesn't lead to a question, does it? Do you ever deliberately uh, insert characterisation? Is that something that you'll go to if you're going, what does this bit need? Oh, there's a space for a character there. Or is it simply that it just naturally bubbles out? Naturally bubbles out.
2: I don't think... I still... I'm not actor enough. I'm more stand-up than actor, and I think I'm not actor enough to go, Oh, what would they talk like? Or, I, and I don't make someone up from scratch. There has to have been a person there has to have been someone or there has to be someone at least I can put in that position where I can be like, I'm going to... And sometimes I'll... Um, it, but it, I know it happens organically because I've been told regularly now, because I talk about my son so much in my comedy at the moment, that I have quite a, I, I have quite a specific voice and face that I go into when I'm talking about, when I'm being him.
0: OK.
2: And I didn't even know I was doing that Do the really. voice, please. Oh, God, I don't know if I can on cue... <laughs> <Q. laughs> Um, no, I don't think I can. Okay, Sorry, okay. I don't think I can. I was like, oh, God, I'm really panicking. I don't think I can. But he's... Um, but I only know it because... So I'll be talking with a friend and um, talking about something, and they'll go, oh, my God, you just... You, when you were talking then, you just did your own impression of Rudy, and I'll be like, oh, did I? I have an... Oh, OK. Um, so I think perhaps it's something I do socially. So, yes. uh, yeah, you know, if, if I'm talking about somebody who's from... Glasgow, and I'll say that they're saying something. Then I might do a Glaswegian accent while I'm saying what they said to you. So sure. I think if I do that, yeah, I'm more. It's more organic than um, than written.
0: I was going to ask a follow up question about the the decisions you make in writing the non characterised stuff, the stand up stuff. When you said yeah. this kind of set pieces, the kind of premise based stand up. Um, however, I was slightly put off by remembering your bit about effing and jeffing, where <laughs> you say jeffing is. What it is it it's taking it's drawing a face on an egg and taking it on an item. According it to Urban Dictionary. Oh is that written? Really, that's an actual yeah. I didn't know whether you'd made that one off or not. Yeah. I, I love that
2: bit. Um it's um it's so funny, isn't it? I with the story show, I'd say I just had to be super conscious of not overwriting it. Um because ultimately, as much as you have creative license, it's not a you know, it's not a TED talk, it's not a medical seminar. You can lie all the fucking that you want you can lie the tits off the face off the thing and in fact that took me years to learn absolutely years that is interesting i was so because i like to have this nut of truth or seed of truth at the beginning of every bit that i'll do even if it's just the the beginning of what my opinion used to be (laughs) Or yes. a person or a thing that happened or whatever, more often than not, an awful thing that happened, whatever, or an ostensibly awful thing, or something where an expectation was mismatched. Um, this year, I'm going to talk about my, in my show, I'm going to talk about my birth story because there's a massive, it's a horrific story, but there's an, an, uh, a mismatch of expectation, which is ultimately what the cruise was. I had very naive, ex- well, you know, I had expectations that it would be this, this, and this, and it turned out to be. Uh, enough of this that and that Um, and the same thing happened giving birth to my son so I I think um, uh, yeah it's a funny thing with writing I also found that since having a kid I've been I've used my time like a shark now um, but I also don't like with stand-up, I don't like sitting down and writing things out long form like I used to. It doesn't feel like, well, I can't work out whether I've either worked out it's not very efficient use of my time. Or if it's just my process has changed. I have I'm, I'm, no idea, which is, but I certainly... Much oh, and the confidence, the growth in confidence. So you can just go on stage with an idea now, or even a punchline, or something where you know. The, what I like that comparison, and I'd rather talk it talk it out again and again and again at twenty new material gigs now than sit down with a pen and paper and sit there staring at it.
0: This yes, I, I I don't disagree with any of that, and I, I've certainly found the same myself. I hadn't thought about it. It's definitely a reaction to far less time now, yeah. that now that we're both parents. I find that I do lots of writing, driving to a gig, listening back to a preview yes. and pausing it and going, OK, look, um, I'll add that and I'll add that, you know. Yeah. Far more of that. It's so much more efficient. Mm-hmm. So, And that's all at the end of the day. It's just efficiency, isn't it? You've got yeah. to get the stuff down. It's got to, it's got to come out. Um, but I just wanted to stay with that idea of truth. I think mm-hmm. I probably started from a point of view of this all has to be true. and or Or completely clearly fanciful you know yeah. like couldn't possibly be true and um, just has to be plausible it doesn't have to be true well I think I'm a little bit I'm still a bit it's funny I only think I'm still a bit well um, oh, it's got to be true it's got to be true but I think I probably bend the truth more than i like to admit yeah. and I'm listening to you go that's plausible and I'm going yeah I suppose you're right I suppose I'm honest with myself
2: well look I i mean in terms of that silence of the Nan show um, everything that everyone said they said their voices might be changed slightly or whatever, but they—that's what—that's how I will remember them forever now. Or it's how you—you know—and um, the block, the things that happened, happened. we were thrown out of the swimming pool. That you know, the, all those little events. But the timelines changed. Actually, it was the, both the gigs in reality were on the same night. Oh lord! But then, but then I was trapped at sea for and and. To get an ending, a satisfying, victorious ending, yeah. took fabrication. Yes. Because yeah. ultimately I had all the all the kind of empowering victory for me came after the fact in writing a show I, I'm happy with about yes. it. It didn't come of tumbling out of me at a gig actually, that I'd had half an hour to reset about. And there were things I couldn't even fit in the show that happened that I wish I could, but because I'd had to put the second gig days later and not half an hour later... Yes. So Kathleen, who's a character in the show, a character who's a real person who worked on there, who was just... Was it um, all real names? Yeah. you use
0: everyone's real names? Yeah, I did, did actually. (laughs) I had to be really careful
2: because there's, there's like, a rival entertainer on the ship um, who I've had to since go back to and realise, I should have asked... Yeah. I should have asked. I, I asked to use some of her music, mm-hmm. and um, and she, not unfairly, said, "I'm, you know, I always want to help another performer out." But I've had, she said, she'd had people on cruises coming up to her saying, "Do you know someone's talking about you in this st- comedy show?" Which terrified me, and I felt awful, like real proper tangy. I feel really emotional thinking about it. Tangy old guilt. I should, before I was ever going to use her real name, have emailed her. I mean, I got in touch and bought her CD and stuff, but I should have emailed her and said, may I? So anyway, she said, no, of course you could. I mean, I would let you use my music, but I can't be seen to be endorsing anything Mm. that's even faintly rude about cruises because that's her livelihood and they could sack her. And she she was a good egg and I hope she comes out of it well enough. Oh, God. In reality, I never met her.
0: That is so interesting, isn't it? Because the, the, what we're talking about is truth and, hey, it just has yeah. to be plausible, but they're real people. These are
2: real people. And she's and a I'm real person real who, although yeah. not in
0: our industry... is in a, you know, a parallel, you know, entertainment. the Parallel universe, actually. (laughs) It'll be all right.
2: Um, No, what I was going to say is that Kathleen, who was like the one who kind of, like, who was your kind of act liaison, who spoke like that, like so dead inside. Um, And one line which I wish I could have put in the show, but I couldn't because I'd made the two gigs too far apart from each other. But she said to me, I I said, just before I went on the second gig, I went, do I have to do... um, is um is there a sort of uh a t- do you want me to do forty five minutes again? And she said, um no, um no, um uh and no, you don't have to do as long this time. <laughs> and I said, oh good. I said, is there a lower limit? And she went, not if it goes the same as the last show. Oh my god! And that was the last thing I heard seconds before going on. Oh it was just amazing. like twist of the knife, like oh, oh my, my god. 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 <laughs> But yeah, no, I feel really guilty about not checking in with that um, entertainer
0: who was on board before
2: about using their real name.
0: Did it in the writing of it, Did it occur to you I could just chat? I just change your name, or was it important to you? But given that the truth, the truth doesn't matter. No, that's
2: exactly one of the <laughs> things. I mean, it, when I when I said I got I get overly tied to the truth, and it's taken me years to realise I don't have to. As in, I will tell. So I think the reason why that Magneto bit never got good is because it came in the middle of a story about my car breaking down Yeah. and I stuck to the events. If I'd come at it like a stand-up, a writer and not a raconteur telling your life story, I could have made that much funnier. You know, that's five years ago. I really, really, it's just, is it laziness? Is it just dedication to the truth? Whatever. But no, in a far more practical sense, again, this was just, I'll keep everyone's names in... It was a mixture of naivety and, were to, I'd say, 10% wanting to keep it true, 10% laziness, and 80% genuinely lack of ambition, not thinking that, well, how will any of them ever find out about it? Sure. I didn't. That's I
0: thought you were going to say 80 revenge. No, no. <laughs> I
2: toured that show, but I, had no, I didn't know I would be able to. I went to that Edinburgh and had my my best Edinburgh so far, you know, it's still not... As in, you know, the roof stayed on, but I've, I've really enjoyed myself for the first time. did not have to worry about numbers for the first time. Definitely the best show I've done so far, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then that finishes in September, and then you're like, oh, I get to do a tour in January, my first ever tour. And I didn't know... I And I still was shocked that she had... I couldn't believe that some... Also, who the fuck is aware what I'm doing who also goes on cruises? <laughs> and who's going and telling her... Oh, I had no idea that that w- I, and I'd so detached that world because it was like going to another planet and it's on back a boat. in time yeah <laughs> that you forget that they're real people that you forget it's a real place and that, that anyone who's anything to do with that might ever find out what you're doing talking about them I just had no idea it would ever go that far but it's no excuse I mean never never again but I risk that just change the bloody name
0: just change the name to Janet or something <laughs> Do you feel, as a comic, do you feel humble? Humble, yeah, I suppose.
2: Um, It's so weird. It's taken me so long to get confident. I feel like I'd be a fraud to say I feel humble. But I feel humility. I I think, if anything, I overprize humility.
0: And maybe that would be a better way of asking the question.
2: I think, if anything, I I really owe, I really hold humility dear to the extent that I'm pretty sure it's held my career back. Because there's been situations where I think if I spoke about how great I think I can do, how well I think I can do something, or how great things are going, I would have got further on, and I will. N- I. Cannot bear to do that. And I think anyone who enjoys that is a terrible, awful cunt and I don't want to spend any time with them. And I fucking hate the way that it's now kind of, we sort of have to on social media. The kids started doing it. The young ones started doing it. Look at my sellout this. Look at my this, that, the other. Aren't I amazing? And now, a little bit, you got to do it. You got to fucking do it, and it breaks my heart. But what I would never do is make my output on those places entirely that. There has to be some comedy in there too. We're not reality TV stars. We're meant to be this comedians. Is, this we're is meant. To, we're it's not just turning products. into reality
0: TV. It isn't is, it? but it's
2: bollocks. You have to be funny first and foremost. You're not a brand. You're not a coween You're not a, You're a fucking comedian. Be funny. You're allowed a percentage of your time promoting yourself. But if that is all you do, and if you post things that other people have said about you, if you retweet that, goodbye. Especially during any festival. Okay. I can't bear to see it. I can't bear it. It makes me feel sick. Also, to me, it just screams of lack of confidence. You can't tell people what you're doing, don't tell people how great other people think you are.
0: Does that still count when promoting your podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's not me, is it? It's a, it's a product. Yeah, and I think Uh, it's it's entirely that. It's entirely my issue. I have a disgust, an innate disgust when it comes to the idea of promoting myself. I will promote my gigs and my podcasts and my whatever. To I will promote them to the hell and heaven and everything. But I to go, please, please love me, and that's where stand up's so unique because that's what you're doing, really. Makes me absolutely w- 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 wretch,
0: wretchy. <laughs> I suppose I—I I don't know if that's kind of where I—I I don't know if that's there's an excellent answer. I don't know where my question came from, except maybe there's a thing you probably
2: seen. My, you've probably seen no, my it's, podcast it's, retweet, no, no, retweet. No, 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 no,
0: no, it's not to do with social media. Like the question was about the question—the question about humility—is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and I, I suppose I think of when I think oh that time I saw you five years ago I thought wow she's gone up a gear maybe you weren't singing your praises singing your own praise. you know yeah, you yeah. behave like oh, I think people who started around the time I started Yeah, when it was I've always said I've said this on the show before I felt like the tail end of people who were doing it as an alternative lifestyle as yeah. opposed to be wanting to be a millionaire. Yeah. You know, it, just, it wasn't... You I still don't want to be a millionaire. No. Oh, actually, do you know what? A million pounds isn't that much anymore. <laughs> I wouldn't
2: mind. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to change that to billionaire now. Yeah. yeah. Well, Millionaires, like, owns property within Zone 6 if you live in
0: London, yeah. I think... Uh... <laughs> I think of sometimes of uh, Tom Stade when he was on this show years ago now saying, "If you want to be, and I, I wish I could do a good Tom Stade because he's got such a good voice for impressions." Um, but if you want to be a star, fucking act like one. Mm. And I, I don't act like I'm a star. I don't act like I want to be a star. And I don't think you do are no. either. I don't ever want to.
2: But I don't think that, don't, that means you don't get to be one. It depends what you want. Also, what I want is always changing. But it, I've had a really funny thing recently where I've realised I don't need... Like watching, um, uh, watching the guilty feminist go the way it's gone and become so enormous. Um, and I've watched lots of friends tip into very extraordinary levels of success. I've watched what it's done to them. I've watched how they've coped with it or not. I've watched how much happier they are. They're not. <laughs> Whatever. It's what fascinates me. And this might change, but the moment, I, I've been thinking, like, do you know what? I don't think I want um, an army. I don't want a whole... Um, like Lady Gaga's got an army, the guilty feminist has got an army. It's, right. I'm not disparaging the people that do want that. And I'm not certainly not disparaging the armies. They're great. These are great, iconic things, but I don't know what com- what that comes with. I remember with Sarah Milliken as well. What that comes with is certain expectations. And a brand, you know, then, OK, well, this is what I do. It's whatever. For Sarah Milliken. I kind of had to do a thing of going, it's jolly, it's happy, it's kind of cheeky but not too rude. And she'd mm. have to start doing a disclaimer at, at tour shows. Actually, what I do in live stuff is a lot ruder than what you might see on the television sure, sure. um, Or on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and with The Guilty Feminist, um, extraordinarily right on. Inclusive is the right... It's set it stall out as being a social justice movement that, that mm-hmm. is one hundred percent. It's inclusive, and and it, within that there will be failings, but the the promise is out there to try. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I look at that, and I look at all the other examples I've got, and thinking, yeah, I don't, I can't, I don't, I'm not interested in having an army. I want loads and loads of people to come to my shows. I want a profile that means I get to do the fun things that I actually want to do on the radio and the television. And I want to work constantly as an actor, and I want to get good. I don't just want three lines in things. I want to be the interesting part. You know, I want to people, I want to be looked at, and I want to be noticed. Um, but I don't think I. I don't think superstardom and arenas is, uh, you know, that's not still not sure that's my end game. I hope that doesn't show a lack of ambition. No. I just actually really want a, I want a fucking lovely life. And I want to keep doing the things I love and to be noticed for it, but I don't think I need a whole army of people. I don't think I want to be worshipped in that way that some people, when they get extra- extraordinarily successful, are. I think I might find that a bit terrifying.
0: And we do know people who've... We know, we know well people who we have seen accelerate into yeah. that kind of world. And, yeah, does it make them happier? Sometimes it must do.
2: We have to. We have to live in a world. We have to live in a head where the things we want are the things we want. Otherwise, you have no impetus for trying. You know, you have to want. But I, I. I think there's nothing wrong with being realistic about it. I think you can. There's a difference between saying I want the life of Beyonce, and I want the life of. Um, oh, what's a good example? Frankie Boyle. Yeah. Frankie Ball, Romesh. Yeah. Two people who I say at the moment getting to do whatever they want. Whatever they want gets made. I'm sure
0: from neither the outside. It.
2: Yeah. Um
0: Like I'm sure from our perspective. Do you know what I mean? I guess when you're in that place, I'm sure Yeah, there are maybe there's frustrations, happen. yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um I I Whatever, you know, I think that, that roughly that's the point where I think, yeah, lovely, absolutely lovely, probably paying, like, two, 3,000 seaters. That's huge, actually, isn't it? <laughs> but still, like, oh, I don't, I don't know. You, you're you taking your life at your pace. You've got your family. You're getting to enjoy your family. I'm sure neither of them are skint. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there's probably... I, I suppose it's just the, a, a little bit of... Um, I don't know. It's really it's a real minefield. I feel like what what I want on that front in terms of being honest and going well, you must want. Su-. I remember being with a very successful friend when we just couldn't get out of the toilet because everyone that came out of a cubicle wanted their autograph, wanted their picture with them, and you're you know we were doing our makeup in a toilet. Mm. Um, and she was so lovely to all of them, and I was like, "How are you coping?" And she said it well, ultimately it has it's what we wanted, isn't it? It's what I always wanted. So I've got to enjoy it." And I still always question whether or not I do want that i What if you needed a poo? What if you'd needed a poo in that same toilet, and all those people in there and knew who you were? Yeah." I think no, you get totally really either. terrible stomach problems from all the yeah. pictures you were holding in. Poor, poor famous people with their terrible IBS. That's because <laughs> you're in their toilet with them. Um, I don't know, yeah. I mean, I definitely, definitely want more success than I've got so far, but perhaps there's a cap on it, is my point. I don't think I necessarily want to... I, the, best way, the best way to put it that I can stick to and mean it is I don't think I necessarily want to take over the world. Yeah. I just want to do really fucking well.
0: Is there, is there any part of your kind of regular cbt routine which yeah. is to do with success yes and um, there, is there any particularly useful thing you could share with us that's uh, kind of a way of dealing with that like one of the things that my guy used to say was dare to be average <laughs> just dare lovely. to be average stop trying you know huge problems with, with perfectionism right for me which i seem yeah, to have yeah. I've, i haven't entirely solved. It they, they bother me less now and um yeah, you know, it's not about me, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so so there are little things like that. Are there any particular things that crop up that you go, that you find yourself applying in a day-to-day? God, I mean, when I really think about it. The The
2: one practical thing that I can remember was during a really breakdown-y time, which I get into quite often because I just get overwhelmed. I, like, take on tonnes of stuff at once and um and then it's like my heart's pounding and i'm s- s- just stressed stressed to the point of i can't focus on anything and everything panics me um and when i get into one of those ruts she sort of really carefully ha- pair, makes me pair it back but does it let helps me to do it really gradually in a way where i don't feel like i've had to suddenly cancel everything um so far. Um, but in the midst of one of those, and I was saying I was gigging that night and I think it was an important gig. Um, and, and you know, she'd been quite clear about, do you actually have to do it? What would happen if you didn't do it? And I'd manically been quite like, well, this won't happen and that won't happen. And I really didn't, you know, I really wanted to do the gig. And she said, well, in that case, you've got to remember that in... That situation, while your mental health is like this, and you 're vulnerable up there, you are a performative version of you up there. One thing you could do is visualize an armor on you like visualize your clothes as armor ultimately, and see if that makes you feel a bit safer before you 're actually on stage and do you know i don 't think I ever did it <laughs> because actually i on stage is already safe because i 'm safe from my own head because yeah. you 're in the moment and you 're focused and actually that's interesting, but um, that's interesting in itself, I think. But yeah, that was her advice. I wonder that might be helpful for someone else. It sounded great
0: at the time. I th- I like the idea, but I'm more interested in the idea that you don't need that because you're safe on stage. Yeah. I wonder how many of us that's true for. Mm. I feel like um, most of the time, if it's you know, if it's working, yeah, which it is most of the time, yeah. you're in a state of flow, mm-hmm. and you think, great, this is, I'm happy now. Yeah, I'm not thinking about.
2: You're not, you haven't got time to stop and think about the past and the future and... And all the other things. you have to be in the moment. That's what I mean. You're in the moment. You're necessarily in the moment. I think it's why lots of stand-ups, infuriatingly for trained actors, get seen for some quite interesting acting. casting director put it really neatly to me once, is that stand-ups as a rule tend to be really good at being in the moment, being very present in the conversation, in the performance, because that's what we do and he can still be a terrible actor <laughs> but um but you know yeah are you happy <sighs> yeah i am god that's such a huge question are you happy yeah i'm really happy i'm very grateful i'm re- really grateful there's elements if you mean my career just generally, he's done a really smirky face. If you're listening, oh, no, I mean just no, not smirky face, <laughs> a cheeky face. Kind of like mm, well, you work out what sad. I mean. <laughs> um, I feel very grateful for all sorts of things in my life. I mean, I'm ultimately, I'm ultimately extraordinarily privileged. Full stop. Uh, I'm a white middle class person, um, uh, and I'm not loaded. But you know, I I, I won't be homeless if it, if everything changed tomorrow. Um... Well, I mean, unless there's an apocalypse and we're all homeless. I mean, that could happen to anyone. Um, I feel very happy to be a parent. Um, I And then when it comes to my career, there's elements. And in my whole life, there's stuff I still want that I haven't got yet. So I'm satisfied. Like, ultimately, ha- I'm not like, I haven't peaked. I've got a whale to go. I want to get, I've, I've got a bunch Better at comedy that I want to get and acting that I want to get there's loads of little career things or big career things that I still really want that I haven't got yet um I feel closer to them than ever before, and that feels real and not just imagined for once so maybe there's a lot of happiness in that and I have lots of moments of unhappiness, but they tend to be um maybe i'm very lucky with that actually they tend to be. T- felt as stress as opposed to um sadness or anxiety but I don't I need to learn what anxiety is it could well be anxiety (laughs) (laughs) but I I, um (laughs) but I yeah so you know I'm not like one of those people who's gleeful all the time but if I look at the grand picture I feel a general contentment and gratitude yeah I think things are going the way I want it's a lovely answer. But I feel like I've earned them and they've taken ages. Do you know what I mean? I don't feel... Yeah, I feel like I... And I'm, and I'm still grafting hard. And I'll never not graft hard. But it's... It's a long game and I'm... That doesn't stress me out anymore that it's... A, a, and, and it's about... It's such a cliche, but you've got to enjoy the game. It's not about the results. It's got to enjoy the game. Because actually, I had a really... Sorry, here's a nice thing. It encapsulates it, I think. I had... um my dad used to work for a champagne company, um, Moet and & Chandon, and I had a bottle of um, Dom Perignon from the year I was born, 1983, that was a gift from him, um, the year before he got made redundant. And so I had this extraordinarily posh um, special drink. And I... This was pre comedy pre-starting comedy when I first got it I I said you know what I'm going to drink that when I get my first paid gig and then you get your first paid gig and you think fuck that you know that's not good enough and then you go no make it something bigger I'm going to drink that when I get my first agent and then you do your first agent you know and you're like okay well actually <laughs> oh surprise, it didn't change much um, and then you go you know the goals kept bigging and bigger and bigger and bigger and then it got to the point where I wasn't even noticing that the goals had been achieved. And I wasn't even having the thought. I'd just occasionally look at that bottle and think, why are you fucking drinking that? And it's because I was behaving like someone who was never, ever satisfied, ever going to be happy with that. Um, so um, um, two weeks after my son was born, I just drank it with some friends who love champagne. And, I've, and I'm never going to treat something like that again, that it's, you've got to live your life now, live it now. It's so cliche, but you just got to, and I think that's how you get to be happy. If You don't get to be happy if you're like, I'll be happy when I've got this award, or I'll be happy when I've got this. Oh, And also, I don't really believe in prizes and awards, but that's a whole bigger other thing. But, uh, uh, you know, the, you, you've got to enjoy the thing while it's happening. Otherwise, you won't be happy. Thanks, man. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So that was Jessica. Thank you to her for coming on the show. Thank you very much to you for listening to it, for supporting the show by joining the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, and indeed getting hold of those juicy extra bits from the show. Uh, This particular one, uh, uh, this section is about Jessica's work directing, amongst others, Sarah Pascoe and Lauren Pattinson. So really worth a listen if you're in the club. If you'd like to go to comedianscomedian.com slash tour, you can find out where I'm going to be doing some stand-up near you soon. That show, End Of, is an absolute joy to perform. I've been warming up bits of it, uh, ready to go back on tour since last Edinburgh, uh, since its last proper run. And um, I've got some lovely, lovely venues coming up. This is like a a mini tour because of the the birth of Future Girl and uh, it's a little bit closer to home, but it will be extended wildly beyond the realms of my imagination later this year when we do a a much bigger version of the tour around the rest of the country in autumn-ish. Edinburgh News. Uh, I think I'm going to Edinburgh. You know, I was all wondering about it last time pretty sure i'm going to edinburgh pretty sure i'm doing an excellent small room in a venue i've played but never done a whole run at and uh it's a glorious glorious room and it's a glorious club and i think i'm gonna it's not all signed yet but i'm pretty sure i'm gonna be up there uh sans famille and um enjoying working hard uh away from the fam and uh, podcasting my bum off and uh just really swimming around in the Edinburgh Festival. That is going to be happening, I think. Don't quote me, but I think it's going to happen this year. So more details on that later. Um, let's just get out of here, do some thankses, and then I've got a little thing to tell you about in the postamble. Thanks, as ever, to Nathan Wood for editing and uploading the show, to Rob Smountain for the music, Peter Dobbing was the podcast consultant, and uh, who else? Angel Comedy, yes, angelcomedy.co.uk, let's imagine... I'm sure it's that. I'm sure it's that. But it's a fantastic venue in, in Angel in North London at a pub there called The Bill Murray. So get yourself along to that. Where I saw Rory Scovel. Oh, my God. He was incredible. What did he do? Like an hour 15 or something? And one of those people, he's just so like, it's such a great time to see him now because he's really going off. He's um he's had this show. What's it called? It's something like Rory Scovel Tries Comedy for the First Time is the name of his special on Netflix. Um, But he's just, it's so richly layered, joke, 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 big routine, big routine. And the the lovely, my favourite bits are all the lovely little trills and asides and jokes about comedy and jokes about the process in between. But none of that feels laboured. It's just so kind of, um, nor does it feel kind of smooth or slick. You just feel like you're just getting a real person really telling you what's going on uh, in their life. And... um, And it feels conversational and intimate, but then he'll just flip a gear and just annihilate. I I mean, I I cannot recommend him enough. I've not seen that Netflix special yet. I've I've seen other specials of his, but uh, Rory, and then it's S-C-O-V-E-L. Please do yourself a favour and look him up. Also saw some incredible new material from Eddie Izzard, but you don't need me to tell you how wonderful he is, or indeed how wunderbar, because that's his his new tour that he's uh, beginning, like, going everywhere in the world in two weeks or whatever it is, is. <laughs> two, I think it's two years, apologies, everywhere in the world for the next two years. Before then, I don't know if you knew this, he said uh, on stage that uh, then I'm going to go into politics. don't know if that means he's pressing pause on comedy, but um, that'll be fascinating to watch. That was all good stuff. I'll have a brief post with you. Um, here's some snuffling from Future Girl. Can you hear that? She went quiet. and she just completely stopped in that way that babies do to pretend they've stopped breathing. Um, that's all of that and I will post-amble at you in just a moment. Thanks for listening. Apologies once again for the uh, the slight slightly low timbre of my voice this time as I bounce a, sn- a snoozing child in a baby carrier uh, around a dark room. Lovely talking to you. Speak to you soon. So by way of a, a tiny little postamble, I am experiencing, or have very recently today, been experiencing... My friend Andre is a parent, and hes if you've seen the show End Of, he is one of the, the couple in the Shackleton bit that some of you know and like. Um, he, he's a dear, dear friend of mine. His son is my godson. I've known him years and years. And uh, he always talked, when his children were very young, about this kind of rush of joy. He would just be very good at sort of... Evoking this incredible happiness about parenthood, and um, this is an unashamed parenting postamble this time because it was, it is my boy's birthday. It's the Buttross's third birthday tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You remember me talking in these postambles about getting pregnant and having a child as well. Well, he's three. What the hell? He's gonna be three tomorrow. That's a Monday. So today, on the Sunday, we had an improvised, uh, not an improvised, no, a planned, but improvisational. Uh, treasure hunt ending in a secret forest disco. <laughs> yeah, we're fucking hipsters. Get over it. And uh, it was so joyful. And it was just one of those moments that Andre used to describe when you're just you're just kind of hanging on. You know, if you write in capital letters H G N N N N N, it's like hmm! like <laughs> like you just you can't cope with the joy flooding through you. It was so glorious. And why doesn't why doesn't anyone do like this? Is we've invented a thing and you can have this. This is a treasure hunt for kids, right? But so that you don't need to set up anything in advance and so that you don't need to um, worry about some kids finding a thing, some kids not finding a thing, all the rest of it. Here's what you do. You give every parent in advance three little treasures. We had like glow sticks, a party hat, and then a little sweetie thing slash non-food item for the people who prevent the the monsters who prevent their children from having sugar Um, you give each parent three surreptitiously to put in their pocket you go to location one on a nice walk around the woods you go here we are guys I think there's some treasure here all the kids run around looking for treasure and when each parent reckons their kid has had enough looking you just surreptitiously Chuck a treasure on the floor and go. Oh, what about down there? And then your your daft toddler, who doesn't realise how life works, goes, "Wow!" and uh, and they find a thing. So that's it. That's all with the prep for your treasure hunt. So we did all of that, and it ended up in um, a little barn in a forest that I'd snuck into beforehand and set up some arguably pathetic uh, fairy lights, arguably pathetic in daylight, and a mirror ball and um, and a little speaker which we then plugged into and played uh, the you know the old standards. Shake It Off by Taylor Swift, and Inspector Norse by Todd Terje. So those <laughs> so, so are my son's favourite two songs at the minute. So uh, he went absolutely nuts, bounced up and down, and ran around shouting things like, this is the best thing ever. And my parenting heart, my little dad heart, absolutely soared. We had a huge, huge day out. Loads of friends having a great fun time. In, in that way where it's like, it's a, a party that... It it's kind of rests on imagination. Like the morning was such a night. No- I'm congratulating myself because setting it up in the morning, I was like, "Oh shit, is this going to be crap? Is this actually a terrible idea? Is this? Is everyone going to go? All oh, right, this is it. Is it?" And it worked. So probably a lot of the joy was actually relief. <laughs> but um, just to tootle my own and my wife's trumpet, because she did most of the uh, the heavy lifting, planning wise, and then uh, Gloryhound Goldsmith turns up at the end <laughs> and gets all the credit for l- l- lumping a tub around a forest. Um, it was just so great. It was so great, guys. It was a really beautiful thing. And he was so, so happy. And then uh, we came home and had wheeze. <laughs> he ate the entire chocolate ice cream for the first time in his life. And then went mad. Um, what a lovely day it's been. And the point I was making... what was Was I making a point? Oh, that's it. The point I was trying to make was about how... Look, you've got choices when you organise a thing and let's say a children's birthday party or your own life. And the choices you can kind of decide to be safe and let someone or something take care of it all. Or you can decide to try and go for sort of joy and imagination and, you know, the whole Muppet Babies thing, Um, that lot. And you can, um, and it's a bigger risk, isn't it? And it struck me there's something in common. I'm such a hipster twat. There's something in common with, with shows and comedy and stuff. It's about trying right and sometimes when you try it flops and sometimes when you try there's a danger of it flopping and then it suddenly all comes together and you go yes I'm so glad that we did it like this because it was really special and really memorable. But having said that I can't remember my third birthday or indeed anything really before the age of about 11 so it's memorable to us and he'll never remember it and we didn't really take any photos but it exists as smoke, much like fucking comedy. <laughs> oh, it was so great, man. It was so great. Anyway, that okay, unashamed uh, parenting one. Next week, whoa, gritty postamble. I'm sure. Got some great stuff coming up. Had a brilliant conversation with Eggsy from Goldie Looking Chain. Eggsy from Goldie Looking Chain. Oh, my God. It was brilliant and a, re- and a really refreshing change as well from all the stand-up stand-up. And I've got another curveball to throw at you pretty soon and I'm working on another really sexy curveball. So um, it's sexy in the sense of, uh, you know, exciting, as opposed to actually sexy, which isn't just... Oh, for fuck's sake, Goldsmith. I'm hopped up on birthday cake and I need to sleep. All right? I admire and respect you. Goodbye for now. (laughs)